The Birth of the Lagoon Addicts Podcast, Episode 9, on What Has My Attention. So as a podcast producer, one of my great joys is helping an individual or organization launch their show. I'm your host, John Beethan, and I'm having one of those moments now as the Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation podcast, Nature All Around Me, is now widely available wherever you get your podcasts. Their podcast invites persons of all ages and backgrounds to ground themselves in the environment that the Agua Hedionda Lagoon provides through experimental learning. This episode was recorded on July 10th, 2020, before work on the design of their podcast started, and as a way for the co-hosts, Lisa Rodman and Samantha Richter, to get their feet wet using the recently purchased Samsung Q2U microphone, which I asked them to purchase for their show. So now let's listen in to who's talking. So welcome, Lisa and Samantha. I'm very excited to be able to have you on this podcast. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So this is a this is a first dry run podcast. So that our intentions is to help you launch your own. So let let's talk a little bit about the foundation. But before you do that, why don't you both introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do there? I'm Lisa Rodman, and I am the CEO here at Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation, and we wear many hats here at the foundation. I've been here for 10 years and absolutely 100% love it, love it, and can't wait to create even more fun things for people to do. And beside me is... Samantha Richter. I am the COO of the foundation. I've worked with Lisa for almost seven years, so we've both been here and comfortable with all the hats we wear (laughs) for many a times. Um, A little bit about what I do is a lot of the day-to-day operations, uh, volunteers, outdoor restoration and we all all like lisa said wear many hats whether that's education recruiting volunteers event planning trail walks trail restoration to name a few nice and and you have other people you work with that work with you there right volunteers and things yes we have sierra russo who's the director of education and emily bonds and her she is new to the team and her title is program coordinator she's a little spitfire Uh, she put together our preschool play dates and that is just blowing us away how many people are so excited about bringing their three to five year olds here to learn about hands-on education with miss m miss m that's nice so we'll, we'll talk about some of the programs later but lisa why don't you talk a little bit about the foundation and how it got started and why it even exists i always like to you know, I follow Simon Sinek, and he always likes people to kind of like talk about or embrace their why. I mean, why does the foundation even exist? Back in 1990, there were some passionate people in Carlsbad that saw the development going on at the lagoon and decided that if they didn't do something about it, there wouldn't be access for the public to use and play and be a part of caring for the lagoon. So they formed the Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation. We're celebrating 30 years this year. I know. In March, we turned 30 or had our 30th anniversary, however you like to look at that. And we've evolved from an all-volunteer organization to having four full-time 
paid employees, three part-time employees, and six seasonal employees. And we serve 600 volunteers annually. We have 25,000 visitors that come through. And we basically are the first recycled building in Carlsbad that we know of. And why I say that is that the planned community of Aviera is what our Discovery Center was. So the planned community of Aviera's retail center is our nature center. And the developer wanted to have it live on in perpetuity, and he offered it to the HOA at Aviera, but they did not have a vision for it. Our chairperson at the time said, Aguajerianda will take it. And so he worked with the city, and they cut the building into three parts, put it on flatbeds, and Mm. trucked it across what is now Faraday to its final resting spot here. This place was slated to be a 7-Eleven. So they worked with (laughs) the Kelly family, and they donated the land to the foundation. And so we're instead of a 7-Eleven. And so that's a little bit of our history. The Mm -hmm. thing that makes it so cool is that they taped it all back together and we're all one whole big building. And I'd say that's pretty recycled, right? Yes. (laughs) Well, I've been there twice. And uh, it it just reminds me, when I was a kid, I was uh, born and raised in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we had a place near the house, but in Portland, uh, called OMSI, which was the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. And it was mostly science in some industry, but it was a community. It was a community. And, and, and my time there, walking in, the first time I walked in, I was greeted warmly. And I just, I don't know, just got a really good feeling. You know, it's like when you walk into a place and there's something good going on, you feel it. And I just want to thank you for being there. So, oh, absolutely. So. And part of our history is the fact that we had a killer algae that was threatening to take over the lagoon. It's called mm-hmm. Calerpa taxifolia. Hmm. And we successfully eradicated it. It has uh, changed the Mediterranean and just off the coast of Australia has changed all the coral reefs. But we successfully eradicated it with everybody jumping in and different governmental groups forming a coalition that raised $8 million. And over five years, they were successful at this eradication. So we call it our own personal holocaust here. With (laughs) us being the fiscal agents of taking care of all of that, we were able to create our award-winning school program that last year we registered 10,599 students coming through the program. So that's quite an accomplishment. Really? No kidding. And uh, we created the Nature Center's interior that you see. Uh, We got the interpretive plan together, the master plan for the center, and we planted the native garden. And we have created nature where it wasn't supposed to be, and now it thrives, and it teaches, and it is an instrument that we use. Samantha's epic at what she does, and we have made it a connector piece here in Carlsbad for 
people to enjoy now and people to enjoy 30 years from now. I was going to ask you what people might expect when they come there, which we you can talk about, but it's like I think you just told us. <laughs> you know, so that's really awesome. That's great. So what about the programs there and who, who kind of runs them? Because, you know, at some point I'm going to be talking with Samantha because, as you had told me, it's like you get Samantha started talking about nature and animals and uh, could be the longest podcast in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to let her take on programs. If you want to learn more about the events we do, I'd be happy to jump back in. But okay. she's our program queen. Okay. Miss Program Queen. Yeah, so our biggest programmatic source is the Academy of Environmental Stewardship, and that's led currently by Sierra Russo, who's our Director of Education. So as Lisa mentioned, we had a milestone of 10,599 students coming through. That is across quite a few grades. The program is geared for third and fourth grade that we have written out for NGSS science standards, Common Core, and really complementing the curriculum that they learn in school. It's a four-hour program where the students, based on the size, either break up into five groups or four groups, and they rotate through different stations. So there's three segments within each program. For three segments within the third grade program, three segments within the fourth grade program. So students and Carlsbad come to all three. So each segment builds upon the other, culminating in that end segment. And then we have a new grade level, seventh grade, that came this year for the first time, and it was very science and STEM-based. And then we have kindergarten, first grade, sometimes a random fifth grade that will choose to do the fourth grade program and we kind of kick it up a notch to make sure it also complies with what they're learning but it's based around those the same segments and programs that we already have so mm-hmm. very successful it's interactive it's very hands-on it's learning to become virtual <laughs> in this age and it also has a very an end culmination with an edutainer as we have coined the term it's an entertainer entertainer that's also educational so we have the raptor institute who brings live owls and hawks um, of different species so they get to learn about the native raptors in the area we have Miss Anne, who is the tree lady, who talks about all things trees, its importance, history, and science behind it. We have a water conservation garden, Miss Smarty Plants, who actually raps about the importance of water. And uh, we have a native Luceno Brave, who dresses in his garb of what his native ancestors have worn and entertains the students with stories and answers questions. So that's kind of a broad overview of the Academy of Environmental Stewardship, which is, like I said, the largest, brings kids in here every day except for the summer, and and provides a lot of interactive education for those students. Is there anything for adults, i.e. me? (laughs) Yeah, we've done our adult summer series, which in the past has included lectures from different nature resources in the area. So, for example, we've had the San Diego Farm Bureau come out and speak on all things agriculture. If you come to the lagoon, a partner of ours, and he's on the south shore, is the Carlsbad Strawberry Company, 
which has its history and roots around Agua Hedionda, so just a little tie-in there. We've had the Native American Brave come out for that and gear his presentation instead towards kids, towards adults. Um, Mm -hmm. We've partnered with CSUSM, which is Cal State University of San Marcos, and had an astronomer come out for our astronomy night. Um, Those are to name a few. Oh, what about the aqua farm? Everybody loves it when we go down there. Another part of the lagoon is the Carlsbad Aqua Farm, and we do an annual members party down there where they actually get to taste the fresh shucked oysters, and then we cook the mussels and get a tour of the aqua farm. Also, as a benefit within your membership to the lagoon, which is how we stay operational and provide all of these amazing resources to kids and adults alike, we offer Hubs Seabass Hatchery Tours, which is another industry on the lagoon that raises sea bass for release into the wild. So they can go do a tour of that. Wow. And then on the event side, we have our Laguna Kahuna Team Challenge, where we have corporate sponsors come out and clean up our lagoon, and they get scored for how much debris and how many invasive plants they remove as well as play fun games so that they can compete for the title, The Big Kahuna. So that event (laughs) is coming up uh, the week of September 18th because of COVID-19. We're going to do a week-long event so each company can come out themselves and stay socially distant and still get that lagoon cleaned up. That's fantastic. You know, it it occurs to me that there may be some people listening that actually don't know what a lagoon is. Do you have a definition for one? Yeah. In uh, simplest terms, it's a collector of water. (laughs) So, you know, a lagoon collects all the water from the surrounding watershed. So if you were in Vista and you were to drop a cup of water and it made it to all the creeks that end up here you know that's a lagoon so it's a drainage basin where all of the surrounding watersheds tributaries point to and then ours is unique Um, you can have lagoons that are brackish completely fresh or salt ours is brackish meaning it's a combination of salt and fresh water because there's Mm -hmm. an opening which the other industries, the desalination plant and the energy energy center, have used. So mm-hmm. freshwater creeks coming in, ocean salt water mixed to become brackish water. Brackish water. Lisa, were there any events, other events you want to talk about? Well, our upcoming gala, you know it's the wild, wild west out there right now. So we got the wild, wild lagoon coming to you <laughs> on August 29th. And we were looking at doing a hybrid where some of our board members are going to have tables of eight at their home cooking dinner for people. And we're Zooming them all in, having an online silent auction and live auction, as well as a fund-a-need for our wonderful Discovery Center. So that's coming up August 29th. And then we have our infamous Tip Top Run and that is in March, and it's named after our lead sponsor, Tip Top Meats, who provides this huge buffet at the end of the five mile or, or not five mile, sorry, 5K or 10K route that people choose to run around the lagoon and 
bring cheer and awareness. We do about 300 to 500 people annually at the Tip Top Run. Gosh, that sounds fun. Uh, people can't see us because we're not on video, but I, I just I realized just a second ago that I haven't stopped smiling. <laughs> such a such a great program, Samantha. Let's talk about animals because rumor has it you could start and never finish. That's that's pretty true. And right now, if you start me on monarch butterflies, I, she doesn't. I, stop. I don't stop. I look for them every day. Okay, good. I have <laughs> nothing planned. I have nothing planned for the next three hours. <laughs> Great. So the lagoon itself is home to a variety of different native species. Whether it's coyotes, there's an abundance of insects, reptiles, fish, birds within and surrounding the lagoon, as well as the flora and the native plants. Within the Discovery Center itself, we have an exhibit called Reptile City that features a variety of different reptiles. Some are native, such as the rosy boa snake and the southern alligator lizard. Some are not, such as our Australian bearded dragons. And people often come in and ask, you know, why do you have animals that aren't native to the area that you're in? Short term, most of the native animals are not the best animal ambassadors. They don't like to be held, you know, rightfully so. So we, being the Discovery Center, as, you know, this interactive nature resource, we have a plethora of them so that we can teach kids, one, the difference between native and non-native species and their different adaptations, behavior, life cycles, and, you know, how they survive in the areas that they come from, as well as pet responsibility. Most of our animals that we have on exhibit are people who thought it was a good idea to get a sulcata desert tortoise which fun fact is the third largest tortoise in the world so it gets very 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 big we have three here that are all small (laughs) so it'll be interesting down the road in 10 years to see what those guys look like and how big they yeah how how long do they live how long do they live a hundred years (laughs) we have a hundred years yeah we have tommy Who's our youngest? Leo is the middle child, and Torty is the big one. Mm, sounds fun. And and you could actually come visit these chaps, right? You can. You can feed them. They We've got little packs. They're called Piper Packs because we have a resident pig here, too. The pig uh-huh. is our director of <laughs> education, Sierra Russo's personal pig. So she's only here when Sierra is here, but she has quite the fan club. But the tortoises and the pigs like the same treats. They love vegetables. So we've got carrots and broccoli that we can feed them. You can touch them. You can see the difference in the shells. Very unique. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. So you were, I thought you were going to go off on monarch butterflies, which you're welcome <laughs> Wait, to. Wait, you know, I have to give a plug to Samantha. It's not hard yeah, for me to do that because she does so many amazing things. But the monarch butterflies really just sparks her up. And I I don't know how to say it, but she is alive around these monarchs. And she's created these great learning areas and growing places for the monarchs so that people can see the different stages. And then she gets all excited when she talks about them. She talks about them epically, so I'll let her do that. But I saw a caterpillar outside of my office knew how excited it would make her brought her in then she was like well what is it doing over here in the deer grass and she starts doing this whole long 
talk to me. And then the next day she goes, oh my gosh, do you see it? Do you see your caterpillar? I was like, what? She goes, well, it's not a chrysalis yet, but it's going to be, look how it's hanging. You know, and she just got really excited, which got me excited that now I have this little bit of nature right outside my window as I walk by to go and take care of something business oriented inside the center. She also rescued a butterfly out of a spider web, taught me how to clean the web from the butterfly. And we watched it leave. It was, it was crazy exciting. I mean, I, I had to go home and, you know, how's your day, honey? Was, you won't believe it. We rescued a butterfly. <laughs> anyway, I'll let her talk about all the stages, but she's really done a great job at yeah. creating the space for them to thrive. Well, one thought I have, uh, Samantha, if you want to wait to do a whole big, long episode about monarch butterflies on your oh. own podcast, we can do that and keep this kind of to a summary of... But wait, would you there's actually- so much more. No. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. And, and that was what I was thinking would be a great podcast is the monarch butterflies and very simple steps on what you can do do to help them out it's very Uh easy you buy one plant it's called milkweed and they come (laughs) but what we've done here is one we've planted the milkweed two when the caterpillars are large enough we put them in a little net they chrysalize 14 days later a butterfly emerges and we're able to release the butterfly so Mm -hmm. at the end of the summer i have an intern tracking how many butterflies we've released so that mm-hmm. I can have a big thing really? on the website that says, you know, 110 butterflies, monarch butterflies, which are in grave danger of being extinct, have emerged from the Aguajedion de Lagoon Foundation due to our efforts. Yeah. So. yeah, so we are in, our, if you're in this part of the country, we're in the middle of a monarch butterfly emergence. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. And I don't what? know, before we do the podcast, I'll find the specific reasons you know, why they're declining. The main one is there's just not enough milkweed due to development. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mm-hmm. super simple to plant, and uh, they, they come. Two chrysalises <laughs> right outside yeah. the window. And, uh, you know, thank you, John, for saying nature all around me when I was out looking at the window and saw the caterpillar, and then the it's next day. Us. Yeah, it's very, very simple. Take a look, and you'll see that. Good. Well, we can keep this as a summary show if you'd like. So... It would be great to know where people can go to donate to keep this program alive. Because I know, uh, despite your success, I know it's also a very challenging time financially for a whole lot of nonprofits and other organizations. They can go to aguaherianda.org. And just because it's kind of complicated, I like mm-hmm. to spell it. A G as in girl U umbrella A Agua Hedianda H E D I that's dog igloo O N D dog A apple H E D I O N D A dot org. It's a mouthful, but it's a very cool place. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, the common misconception that most people say is aqua, which, you know, is not agua. So it's the agua with a G. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you check out our website, there's different ways you can invest, which is donate membership, you know, 
sponsor an event, all sorts of things. So we will. You do, and you do corporate corporate memberships too. Yep, we do business memberships, which have different value than a individual membership, such as sponsors to events, as well as advertising, you know, logo on the website, that type of a thing. Um, and mm-hmm. then the individual memberships are geared more towards. You get to come into the Discovery Center. You get tickets to the Hub Sea Bass Hatchery or the Aqua Farm. So do business, but they're more individualized than the corporate. And I like to point out to people that the value of membership is that you get to help fund the programming that inspires the future Lagoon stewards. And yes, there's benefits to it, but the actual value that is there is the future Lagoon stewards. Mm, nice. So in moving ahead, we're going to be launching your own podcast. What what kind of hopes and dreams might you have for the podcast? And what could people, although we haven't really talked about it, but what would people expect to uh, gain from the podcast coming up? Which is, have we, have we decided on a name? Well, Nature All Around Us really does fit what we talk about. It inspires the future lagoon stewards to be responsible we're about conservation access through trails and environmental education that's what we stand for that's what we work for and i think that it's a very complicated area with many moving parts and so what people can look forward to in the podcast is samantha and myself dissecting that into digestible chunks in order for them to be inspired like we are. Nice. Did I say Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, too, the nature, we both gravitate towards that nature all around us, nature all around me, because especially in this time, this virtual world, right, you should be able to discover nature right outside your own window in your own space. And so, sure, we'll have a podcast segment specifically on the monarch butterflies that you can see at the Discovery Center, but... Good news is you can see the monarch butterflies right outside your own window, too. So it has this plural message of, you know, we're communicating the information, but we want you to experience it in the nature, and we want you to be inspired by us, but go out and find nature yourself. Yeah, and we give them the tools to do that. Uh, When COVID-19 hit, we turned virtual, and we created an entire place on our website for virtual nature experiences and so i invite people to go and check those out they're definitely how-tos and inspirations and you'll find samantha on there leading you through the nature center and all the animal ambassadors and some rich history so that you can be inspired by zoom at your own home Hmm. i'm looking forward to spending more time there myself Anything else you would like to uh, let people know about before we wrap up? Well, go out and be inspired in nature. It does keep us sane when we uh, really get stressed out. We can go take a walk on our trail or go check out the beehive. And just watching nature kind of soothes and calms you. I think that's going to have to be my mantra for 2020. Yeah, I, I lived in New Mexico most of my adult life on, and uh, a lot of it on 1,500 acres. So what I learned, and, and I had a dog who was half Malamute and half Coyote. So this is what I learned, is that nature is the great balancer. 
So if you just spend time in, na- in nature, whatever's going on with you, it's just a great balancer. just has a tendency to wash it away. We couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Thanks for listening. <laughs>